Well, guys, thanks again for having us in the res. It's been so lucky to be with you guys this week. And some of you haven't been to a session before, but I recognize most of the faces. And we appreciate it. Appreciate your time and um, being able to share the word with you. It's a privilege. Uh, We go back to Cape Town on Saturday morning. But uh, we'll be praying for you guys and trust the Lord will continue to do good things in the res here with you. Um, maybe we can ask the umfundis to open in prayer for us. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for our evening together. Lord, we ask that you open eyes tonight. That your grace would be upon us and that your grace yes, would teach us tonight, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are here with us, Lord. Yes, you are, Lord. We just say that that this evening we're blessed together, Lord. So we love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is just share our personal stories with you of how it is that we... How's it, guys? Welcome. Come on in. We're just going to share our, our testimonies with you, how it is that we came to know the Lord. Um, and maybe there's something that you relate to in one of our stories. Um, so my name is, is Steve Johnston, if you don't know me yet. Um, I was born in Cape Town, and uh, I was raised pretty much in Cape Town, a little bit in Pretoria, in uh, Wingate Park, but... Um, for the most part, raised in Cape Town. Um, I grew up in a, in a pretty unhappy home. Um, my, my dad was an alcoholic and um, was just permanently gone out of the house. And, you know, they, they've, um, they've done studies on, like, the impact of a broken home on, on children, and, I mean, you guys know... The, the, the biggest victims of a bad marriage or a bad home are the children. And they actually discovered that the most damaging kind of home you can be raised in is not a single-parent home where, let's say, the father normally has you know, pushed off. It's actually more damaging to be raised in a home where you have one or both parents who live in the house but are just emotionally tuned out, just not engaged. Because you live in a house then where you, on a daily basis you feel rejected because you're not receiving the love from the person who's there. And that's the kind of house that I grew up in. My dad, uh, he, he, he was only interested in, in um, work and then escaping to the golf club. And golf was like his, his, his god, his idol. Uh, and alcohol. Now, I don't say that out of any bitterness or anger towards my father. In fact, after I became a Christian, one of the first things that the Lord said to me was, uh, I need to forgive my dad. And I did that. I wrote him a letter. He was living away at the time in Neisner. And I said to him in this letter, Dad, you know, um, I know there's a lot of water under the bridge in our home, but I want you to know that uh, I forgive you. And I love you. Now, I had never said those words to my father. I was 23 years old when I wrote that letter. And he'd never said those words to me. Um, That was just not the kind of house that I I grew up in. 
My mother uh, was, uh, she wanted to do what was right uh, for my brother and I, but she was a miserable woman uh, because she was miserable in this, in this marriage, but she didn't have the courage to leave. Um, she, she kind of lived with a sense of guilt her whole life that she got into this terrible marriage and now her children were suffering and she lived with guilt. Um, I wish my mom had been able to come to know the Lord Jesus uh, when we were small children because one of the things that would have done for her is that it would have relieved her of that sense of guilt. It would have given her a grace to know God is with you and God's grace is enough. He can forgive and he can bring strength and hope in any situation. But it wasn't to be. That was not the kind of home that I grew up in. So I, I grew up in a, a completely miserable house. There was never any laughter, never any joy. I c- cannot remember uh, 18 years growing up in a house where we ever sat around a table and had a meal together. Uh, we would just eat in front of the television set, and uh, that, was, that was how I grew up. Um, my, my, my brother, he was older than me, two years older than me, because of the kind of house we grew up in uh, and because of the way our father was, my, my brother was an extremely angry young man and he took out all his anger on me. Uh, he bullied me very badly as, as, uh, as a boy and, uh, and he hated me. Um, and I guess there was a psychology behind that, an explanation, I don't know. Um, maybe I was just... The, the next weakest link in the chain, which he could take his frustration out on. Uh, I think he also felt like maybe um, I was loved more than he was loved. I don't know, but uh, we had a terrible relationship. To this day, we don't have a relationship, though. I've tried to reach out to him, but when you grow up for 18 years hating each other, uh, it's very difficult to come back from that. So I was hated by my, my butt, bullied by him, just made me even more miserable in this house. Um, I never invited any friends around to my house when we were growing up. I just wanted to get out of there. I mean, why would I invite anybody to my house? This is a miserable place. So uh, I grew up with a, a sort of sense of, of, of distrust to authority figures. I did not trust authority figures, particularly male authority figures. Uh, because my brother and my, my father, who in my heart I kind of knew they should love me, uh, they did not love me. They did not show any kind of love for me. And so I just didn't trust authority figures. And so because of that, I got into a lot of trouble at school. I was at a boys' school. At a boys' school, you have mostly male teachers. And I was rebellious. But it, it came from a deep hurt, actually, in me. Uh, because I, I felt like I couldn't trust these people. I don't trust you. Um, my home was not a religious home. Uh, you've probably guessed that. And yet, out of a sense of duty, I think my mother, because she felt so guilty all the time, she felt like she should take her kids to Sunday school. You know, She wasn't a Christian. She did not believe in Christ. But it was kind of a traditional thing, I guess. Somewhere in her background, she thought she should do this for her children. So... She took us to church, and, and somehow through that interaction at church or whatever it was, I, I got a sense of God's being when I was small. 
I knew that God existed. And um, my mom would, God bless her heart, you know, when I wanted to even pray before I went to bed at night as a boy, she would sit with me and, and she would pray with me. I remember I'd written a prayer for myself as a young boy. I don't know how this got into me, but, um, and I would sometimes want to pray that prayer and she would sit on my bed and pray it with me. And I thank God that I had a mother at least who didn't, um, you know, uh, resist faith in her children. She, she encouraged it in me. She thought it was a good thing in me. And as I grew up, even as a, as a young teenager, I had the sense of the knowledge of God and I would, uh, I would get on my bicycle and I would ride down to the local Anglican church and, uh, and I'd attend the services there. And, you know, looking back, I, I can't say that that Anglican church did anything good for me, you know, in leading me actually to know the Lord. I, I don't think the... the, the the priest there actually knew the Lord. But anyway, for me, it was just a way for me to express this, this sort of internal desire I had to, to come, kind of reach out to this God that I knew that was there somewhere. And um, I'm sure this, this is the story of many a, a young man. I hope it's not your story. But at the age of about 16... I went off the rails. All of this kind of religious, like trying to live a good life, and I believe in God, and you know, I'm miserable in this house, but I'm going to be the one that's upright. And You know, if you, if you try to do it in your own strength, it's just not going to work. And it didn't work for me. So at the age of 16, I, I lost traction on that thing. Um, I, was, I was living in this miserable house, uh, my parents finally got divorced when I was 16, and uh, about the same time, I had quite a bad sporting injury. I lost the use of my left eye playing hockey, and I think that, you know, combined with some other factors in my life, just, it just pushed me over the edge. Um, the truth is, in, the, in those years when I was off the rails, uh, my heart was actually broken, you know, um, uh, sport was the most important thing in my life. I played sport at a, at a high level at school. Um, I played provincial cricket. I played provincial um, hockey. Um, I was the, the second highest goal scorer at the interprovincial tournament. I played SA schools hockey in my matric year. But, you know, in all of those years of, of uh, playing high-level hockey and high-level cricket, I don't remember my father uh, watching one game. I, w I lived a totally independent life as a young man. And to me, I was, I, I was quite sort of proud of it and quite tough about my independence. I don't need anyone. But, you know, as I've grown up, I've, I've learned you can put on this brave face on the outside and pretend like you don't need anyone. But every single human being needs to be loved. We do. And the love of a father is particularly important to a son. And I didn't have that. You know, I wish my dad had been able to see me knock someone's middle stump out or score a goal. But he never did, you know. And so this independence, this rebellious spirit, this desire for freedom. For me, the idol that I followed in my life was freedom. I thought if I can just get free, from any kind of authority, my parents, then I'll be happy. Like freedom was going to make me happy. 
And so when I, when I left school, so when I was 16, I started drinking. Um, and I've got to be honest with you, I really enjoyed getting drunk. It was the most liberating experience. I'd been resisting because a lot of my mates had already started to drink at that time, and I had this pious like, attitude, like I was never going to do that. And one night, we were out, someone had some booze, and I just, everything going on, I just I fell over the edge. And I had a drink, had another drink, had a drink, got drunk that night. And um, I remember like kissing a number of girls that night, and I was like, I was, I was just bulletproof, and I was like, it was so much fun, and it was, we had such a joy, and it hooked me. The experience of it hooked me. And I started to drink more and more and more, and over the next seven years, until the age of 23, I progressively became an alcoholic. It just, it gave me an ability to engage socially, which I didn't have. Because I didn't grow up in a kind of home where you, where you learned to have conversation and interaction. I was socially very awkward. And when I was drunk, it just it overcame all of that. I just became confident and I, I, I came to depend on it socially. You know, even to this day, I still, you know, some of you will talk to me afterwards one-on-one. And after talking to me one-on-one, you'll think, geez, this folks got some social problems, you know. <laughs> but... For that seven years, I more and more started to depend on alcohol. So I don't think I ever became a chemically dependent alcoholic, but I was certainly a socially dependent alcoholic. Um, And alcohol actually became what defined me. I mean, everyone started to know. Steve Johnston, that oak, when he goes out, I mean, I I was reckless. Um, and because of the kind of personality I have and my rebellion against authority, you can just imagine how I was when I was drunk. I, I've been to, to jail many times. Not prison, okay? Like jail for the night, you know? You get locked up in the chookie for the night, drunk and disorderly, shoplifting, breaking and entering. You name it, I've, I've, I've done it. Because I just, I, I, my life was just spiraling out of control. But I couldn't, I couldn't loose myself from it. And yet having said all of that, I never lost that sense of God that I had as a boy. That knowledge of God. And in fact, the weird thing is, I never actually wanted to lose it. I remember many, many times coming home in a paralytic condition and f- collapsing into bed. And I always had my little good news Bible that I'd got from the Anglican church next to my bed. And many a night, in a drunken state, I would open up that Bible and I'd, I'd read a paragraph and put it down. <laughs> but I can't explain that to you, why I did that, but that's my story. As I left school, I began to experience firsthand that sin always demands the wages to be paid. Another way of saying that is sin always demands the rent. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There are consequences to the way we live our lives. And as much fun as I was having, getting drunk, you see the devil, he tricks you in the beginning by letting it be a fantastic experience. It's the same with sex, same with drugs, same with alcohol. Same with money, actually. It seems great in the beginning. 
but he starts to, to, to reel you in with it. And it starts to have its effect. So uh, I went overseas at the age of 19. I was coaching sport at a school in England. And uh, I remember looking at myself one day in the mirror. All I was doing was just getting drunk every night. The teachers didn't like me. The students didn't like me. Because I was just totally irresponsible. I just I couldn't be trusted with anything. It, it's one of the things alcohol did for me. It made me totally untrustworthy. It's just, just irresponsible. And uh, I looked at myself in the mirror one day. I put on all this weight. I was fat. My, my sporting career, which had promise, it was, it was, it went down the toilet. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day, this big fat face, and I actually hated the person I saw in the mirror. I couldn't look myself in the eyes. I, I, was, I was ashamed of myself because I knew what I'm doing is wrong. That sense of right and wrong never left me. Couldn't escape it. And um, I wanted my life to change, but I, I didn't know how to change. I remember saying to some of the kids at the school one day, like, I said to them, I've got a problem. I can't, like, I get drunk all the time. I can't stop this. I, I, I don't know how to stop this. I was like on this runaway train in this body that just couldn't be stopped. And in the morning, I'd feel terrible. I'd feel guilty. And I, and I, and I would wish that my life would change. But you know what it's like? By the time the evening came, my, my, my mates who were just as dysfunctional as I was, they wanted to now drink, and, and, and that conviction that you felt in the morning has, has gone away a little bit, and so you get drunk again. And it was just this, this endless spiral. And I'd had all these dreams of living a life that was great, and a life of significance, and of doing something great with my life, but I knew what I'm doing is not going to lead to that, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to break out of this thing. I was trapped in it. You know, Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. I can tell you that's true. I know what it's like to be a slave of sin. And so I was lost. And I kept doing what lost people do. I just went round and round in circles. Now, it was, it was while that I was in this, like, negative, meaningless spiral, a negative cycle in my early 20s. I'd come back to South Africa. I was going out with a girl. And it was at about that time when I was 22 that, um, that God began to move in my life. He, he literally came and fetched me. I, and I owe him everything. And in that in that period of time, which was initiated by a weekend or a week that I went away with my girlfriend with some of her friends to the Drakensberg, and, and they were Christians, and it was some of the conversations I had that week that just brought out all of the stuff that was in me, this faith that I had been suppressing all my life, that was there all the time. They brought it out. And there were three things in particular that I began to wrestle with very deeply when I was 22. Three, three things actually that I had to admit about myself. These were not actually things that I learned. 
I, I, I was brought to a place where I, I didn't have to learn anything new. I actually had to just admit what I actually did believe. And stop pushing it down and you know, blocking my ears and getting drunk one more time. First thing I had to admit is, is that I did believe there was a God. You know, I wasn't one of these guys that, that had a naturalistic worldview that kind of believed in evolution and the Big Bang and that this world that you see, this is all there is. I had to actually just admit to myself, I don't believe that and I've never believed that. I do believe there is a God. And I, and I got to a point where I started to realize I'm actually only hurting myself if I don't Admit that I believe this. If I keep pushing down this knowledge of God, I'm only hurting myself. I'm being a fool. So I had to admit that there, there was a faith in me. Second thing I had to admit was that I believed that the Bible was true. And that I had always believed that. Somehow... In my childhood, maybe going to Sunday school, I have this memory when I was a boy, I don't know how old I was, um, watching a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. It's a movie about a, a, an inner city New York gangster called Nicky Cruz that got saved. And um, they made a movie about his life. I remember watching this movie as a young boy, and I remember it made a very deep impact on me. And I knew that that is the God that I believe in. Um, I wasn't the sort of postmodern type. You know, the postmodern mind philosophy says uh, there's no absolute truth. What you believe is good for you, and what I believe is good for me, and we're each on our own journey, and my path is just as valid as your path. You know, that's postmodern thinking. Well, you know, maybe that's something that you've struggled with and you do believe that, but I, I just had to get to a point of admitment, I never believed that. I don't believe and I never have believed that truth is relative. I believed that the God I believed in was the God of the Bible, not some other God. And that what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true. That he did die on a cross for sin, that he did rise from the dead, and that salvation is only possible in him. I... I had to just get to a point to admit to myself that is what I believe. But again, I had just been suppressing it. And then the third thing that I had to admit was that, and this was the biggest admission that I had to make, was that my little self-governance project, you know, my, my autonomy project, wasn't going so well. I had to admit that to myself, that not only did I believe that there was a God and that it, it is the God of the Bible and that Jesus is his son, but I had to get to a point where, where I was willing to admit that I needed him and I wanted this God to be my father, that I wanted him to be my dad. I needed him. I needed a savior. And God had to break me to get me to that point. I hope he doesn't have to break you to get you to that point. I had to virtually destroy my life before I was willing 
to turn back to God and say, God, my life is a total mess. I need you, Lord. I need you, and I need you to forgive me because I've done some terrible things, and I had. But I longed for God to be my father. And if I can just say this, since the age of 23, when I gave my life to the Lord, God has been the most incredible father to me. You don't need to have had a good father in this life. It's great to have a good father. Thank God if you've had a good father. But you don't need to have had a good father. Our father in heaven, he knows how to be a good father to his sons. He knows how to raise a man out of a boy. He knows. He knows how to discipline a young man. And I've been disciplined by God. But he disciplines in mercy and in gentleness. And he knows how far he can push us. And every bit of discipline he's put me through in my life has only strengthened me. Because he's a very wise father. He knows how to do it. He can make a man of you, my, my friend. He can make a man of you. He's made a man out of me. He's taught me courage. You know, if one of a father's roles is to teach his son's courage. My father never taught me courage. I was a coward. God has taught me courage. He's changed me because he's a good father. And maybe you've never received Jesus here tonight. Because it's in Jesus Christ that we get adopted as God's, as God's sons. It's through faith in Jesus that we are then brought into the family of God. I want to encourage you. You accept Jesus as your Savior. You repent of your sins. And you come to God asking for forgiveness. And you will get more than forgiveness. You will get adopted as the Son of God. And He will begin to work in your life as a good father. It's an amazing thing. Well, I could extend the story, but when I was 23, I ended up in a church. Uh, someone was preaching the gospel, and uh, God had brought me to a place where I was finally willing to give up a fear of what all my friends were going to think, what my girlfriend would think that kept me from getting saved for a long time, what my girlfriend's going to think. I was so worried about that, so... God was very gracious the way he did it. And one night my girlfriend and I were in a church and we heard a man preaching the gospel. And he gave an appeal for people to stand who wanted to say yes to Jesus and to be washed clean of their sin. And I just reached a point where I, I couldn't say no anymore. And, and I stood up that night and I tell you, the, the change was like... It's like darkness to light. It's like someone switched a light on. Immediately I knew I'd been forgiven. It's like the sense of lightness and, and love, a love of a father, just flooded my soul. And my girlfriend gave her, her life on the same night. And uh, that story has a great ending. We're still writing that story. We got married. God is so good, Cass. God is so good. He's worth serving. Until you waste your life with booze and, and women and drugs and money and pride. and You waste your life, man. Jesus is a... Yes, he, does, he, he, 
he demands everything. He, he says, you come, you give everything. You, you lay down your life when you come to me. This is not a Sunday thing. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I become your Lord. But I tell you what, in exchange, he gives you abundant life. And Nick will tell his story now. I guarantee you he will have the same story to tell. Jesus gives abundant life. And I want to encourage you to, to say yes to him tonight if you haven't done that. My brother. Thanks, Steve. <clears throat> I don't think you need to hear my story after that. Um, but I can tell you that what Steve said about knowing the love of a father is it just like struck a it just struck a little note there which which I think God is speaking to every one of you here tonight. I think that there's two categories of people here tonight. And the one category is you've never you've never known the love of your heavenly father because you've never come to his son Jesus, because Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life. He's the way to God. He's the truth about God. He brings the life of God. So you might be here and you've never come to Jesus and said to Jesus, God, after listening to Steve and knowing my own issues in my own heart, I need, I need to come and bow down at your throne and say, God, you be my God from tonight. That might be you tonight. I think there's also another category of person here where you, you haven't experienced the love of, of, of your heavenly father. You've said yes to Jesus, but you've been walking a little bit at arm's length. I think that God wants to speak to your heart tonight that he has got plans for your life. Like a good father plans for his own children. You can, you know, you can get so caught up in your calling as, uh, in the medical profession, as doctors, that it can become actually something which you actually bow down and worship. I know that might sound quite strange, because it's such a noble thing to be in medicine and to be a doctor and that's a very there's a very presti- there's a lot of prestige that comes with being a doctor and I know um, people look look up to doctors but let me tell you friends that 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 can be uh, that can become an idol in your lives and that can keep you as long as you're bowing down and worshiping that idol of your position as a doctor that will keep you from God's purposes for your life. So I want to just send out a. I just want to. I just want to warn you that don't be don't be don't be don't be dazzled by this this career that you are that you are moving on. Don't think that it's it's greater than God's purposes as a father to you. It's not. 
God can say to you, stop doing medicine, I want you to go and do something else. And, and he's got the right to do that. So I really want to say to you, live your lives, even in, this, even in this, uh, the intensity of what you're studying and the amount of work that you're doing and, and the, the excitement of it, live your lives holding your career like, like this because your lives do not belong to you. And especially, well, especially because your lives have been bought by Jesus. And he's paid a price for you to be his children. So, can you just be aware of that? And cling on to your, and cling on to your vocation so much that you're not willing to say to God, Lord, you are the highest. What you say, I'll do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us now. And I'm going to pray for those those people in those two categories, the one category, you've maybe you've never come to Jesus. You don't know what it is to be a child of God. You've never experienced this eternal life that Steve was talking about. And, um, and then I'm going to pray for those of you who, maybe like Steve and like me, haven't had good earthly fathers, and you just need, you actually just need a, um, you actually just need the Heavenly Father to come and affirm you and to come and put His arms around you and to come and come and touch your hearts. I really, I, I know that there's some of you here tonight that need God to, God the Heavenly Father to come and come alongside you and to minister to you tonight. And um, so I think what we do is um, I think we bow our heads in prayer, and then I'm going to ask I'm going to ask those category of people to indicate to me, and I'm going to pray for you specifically. So, let's bow our heads, and uh, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, if what Steve said to you tonight uh, struck a chord in your heart, and you know that you are a sinner. And that you need a savior. You tried it. You've, you've, you've tried to stop sinning before, or, or tonight you know that you're a sinner and you need a savior, and that you believe that what he said is true about Jesus, that he is a, he is the Lord, and that he did die for your sins, and you need to come to him to receive life from him. If if that is you tonight, I want you to just indicate to me by lifting your head and just giving me a nod and saying, that's me. And I'm going to pray for you. Great, thank you. Now what we're going to do is we're going to pray, all pray together, so that the young man who, who indicated to me doesn't feel like he's alone in it. Um, we're all going to pray, we're all going to pray, including this young man, we're all going to pray this prayer out loud. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. I believe you carried my sins. I believe you carried my sins. I come to you humbly tonight. I come to you humbly tonight. 
And I ask you, God. I ask you, God. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. I honor you tonight. I honor you tonight. Wash me clean. Wash me clean. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I become your child tonight. I become your child tonight. Now I'm going to pray. If you, if you want to, if you feel like, if you need to, know, if you if you need to receive something more of God's, if you want to experience God's father fatherly love, I'm going to pray a prayer, which is a prayer of surrender, which says, Lord, I'm giving you my whole, I'm giving you the whole deal. You take, you be in charge of my life. I want to walk as your son today. So this is not so much about the forgiveness of sins because I believe that most of you have received Jesus and have had your sins washed away but I want to call you to walk as his children today as an, as an obedient son and, I want, and, and you're, you're going to experience God's love for you tonight. So... Won't you pray this prayer? In fact, I'd like you to stand up if you want to walk as one of God's children in, in obedience and knowing His love. You st when you stand up, I want you, what you're going to say is you're saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering this. I'm surrendering my career. I'm sur surrendering my, my... I'm just giving everything to you. I want to walk as your... I want to walk as your child. I want, to, I want to know your love. I want to know your love. If that's you tonight, I'd like you to stand and I'd like to pray for you. And I'd like that young man who, who, who gave his heart to Jesus tonight to stand as well. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, you, you, see, you see these young men here. Thanks, Lord. Father, touch them with your love. I'll tell you what, guys, I'm going I'm to lead you in a prayer. Just, I'm just going to help you put words in your mouth to confess something. Sometimes it's good to say things out loud because you... You, uh, no, no, something happens when you say things out loud. Let's just say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, here I am. Here I am. Take me. Take me. Do what you want. Do what you want with my life. With my life. I surrender. I surrender everything to you. Everything to you. Stay in a moment of prayer. If you feel like the Holy Spirit wants to fill some of you with His, with His grace and with His love. Maybe Steve and I will come around and just um, pray for pray for you for a moment or two. God, fill with Your love, Lord. Fill with Your love, God. Fill them with Your love, Father. 
Fill them with the knowledge of your love, God. Fill them, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let your love break, break chains. Let your love break the boundaries, God. Let your love have an effect today, Lord God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to pray, Lord, for these young men who stand here, God, who some of them have, have not had a good father as I didn't, Lord. And God, I want to pray for each one of them, particularly here tonight, Lord, that they would know your fatherhood in their lives. Yes, Lord. God, that they would know that you love them, that your eyes are upon them. Yes, Lord. That you delight in their lives, in their successes. You are with them in their failures. You will walk th- with them through every season of life. You will never leave them. You will never forsake them. And at the end of their lives, you will take them home and welcome them into heaven as your sons. God, I want to pray that you would do the work of a father in these boys' lives. God, I want to pray that you would do the work of a father, that you would discipline them when they need it, that you would comfort them when they need it, that you would give them wisdom when they need it, that when they face difficult decisions, you would guide them in the way that they should go, just as a father guides his sons. God, I want to pray that you would help them to tread a wise path in life, I pray, my God, that you would choose a spouse for each one of them, even as a father should choose a godly woman for his son. So, God, I pray that you would choose the woman that each man here marries, God, and you would give them discipline to wait for her. So, Father, I pray for your loving fatherhood in each life here, that these men at the end of their lives would be able to testify that God is a good father, that even though we can't see God with our eyes, Yet He works in our lives and He does the work of a Father. I pray that that would be the testimony of every man here. In Jesus' name.